Well, 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 welcome again, OCC fam. Will you allow me to pray for you uh, today? And then right afterwards, we'll jump into the word. Father, thank you so much for what we've done so far in this series. Thank you for how you have held us, how you have been with us in the waiting room. As we conclude our series today, God, will you please just Give us the exact word we need, each one of us. Customize it to us so that we will hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen and amen. Everybody listen up, man. Uh, so this starts my, my, my time off. And so as you know, if you're not used to OCC, then I take about six weeks off so that you can get to hear some of the best communicators in all the world, okay? So we have a stacked lineup this coming uh, July, and you don't want to miss it. We always start with somebody from OCC, and we end with somebody from OCC, and they are just as good as everybody else that's coming. All of them are, so I can't wait. So today, we kick off our summer series. It's the conclusion of the wait series before we start our summer series, but we kick it off with none other than the one and the only. Her name, come on somebody, is Jada. Her middle name is Anne. Her, 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 her name before marriage is Coben, and then her beautiful last name is Edwards. When she's in trouble, it's Coben. When she is living right and in the will of God, it's Edwards. Will you help me welcome the one, the... Oh, okay, okay. Oh, it's bad. a lot. It, it's a lot it's sometimes. It's too much, I think. Sometimes, sometimes it's just it's a lot. It's too much. Okay. But, all right. All right. Uh, we'll see y'all. Um, see y'all. Oh, all right. Thank you. You gonna do good? Yes, yes. You have, your, you have your Easter speech ready? I do. I all do. right. All right. I see y'all. Bye. All right. Y'all right. give it up for your pastor. Who... Finds a way to still be on the platform. Oh, man, it's so good to be with you this weekend. Welcome, welcome to our weekend services. We are excited because we've been in this wait series, and um, I think it's so applicable to the things that we are wrestling with in everyday life because we all have to wait on something. Uh, it may be small things that you're waiting on. It may be big things. Because we've been home a lot, <clears throat> we have been cooking. Well, we, I have been cooking a lot because we're home and people are hungry, and so we're always eating. And here's what's interesting. Actually, uh, your pastor, my husband, my beloved, has taken up grilling. And um, we, we do some little grilling nights now on, on the, during the week, and it's been fun because we get to have a little family time. But, y'all, there's this thing. Okay, when you're a really fast-paced person, a waiting can really be a struggle. And there are some things, if you are cooking more, if you're cooking at home doing things, you will understand that there are some times where if you try to rush the process, you're going to change the end result. So the thing with this grilling is there is this whole period of time that you have to season up your meat and get everything in there and leave it alone. And it's hard. One of the things that, that we've learned that can really mess up a good grilling experience is continuing to open the lid of the grill because you're trying to check on something. See, when you try to rush the process, you end up changing the outcome. You miss what happens if you just let the thing sit. Uh, we usually like to grill our meat and then we'll have some sides and I do some cooking indoors. And my husband, uh, again, is a huge uh, fan of rice. If you are Caribbean or from an Asian culture, then rice is like a staple in every meal. And before the Instapot came along and before uh, pressure cookers were used, you had to know how to cook it old school on the stove. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like you have to let it sit, let it simmer. You never stir it. 
Anybody who knows, you don't stir the rice because it makes it sticky, then make it right. You got to let it sit, trust that it's doing what it needs to be doing underneath that water, and then take it out at just the right time. So it's been interesting because even in our light-hearted moments, even as we're home with the family and cooking, I'm realizing how much waiting is a part of everyday life. And, and even though it's just a meal that we may be talking about, if you try to rush that process, the end result is not going to be the full potential of what it could be. And the same thing is true in our lives. There are so many times where we want to stir the pot. We want to try to rush God's hand. We want to keep opening the lid to see if God is moving in the direction that we want him to move. And I'm telling you today that there is so much power in waiting, understanding that God is doing what he's supposed to be doing and that we have to wait with an expectation that trusts the process. Now, the last time we were together, we talked about Isaiah 40. And uh, Isaiah 40 is an amazing passage because the prophet is giving us this image of what it looks like to wait on God, that we'll have renewed strength, we'll mount up with wings like eagles. It's a prophetic truth that Isaiah is giving us. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 40, and Psalm 40 is more of a personal testimony. We get to hear the words of David, who is not just talking in these broad terms of what it means to wait, but in very personal terms of what God did when he waited on God, what God did when he chose not to stir the pot, what God did when he chose to keep the lid closed and let God do his thing. And I want to encourage you today because I can promise you that you're in some season of waiting. It may be something small. Maybe you're waiting to see what's going to happen next with school or your career. Maybe you're waiting to see what's going to happen with your family. Maybe you're waiting for marriage, waiting for uh, a baby to start your family. Maybe you're waiting for healing. You might be waiting on some kind of breakthrough. You might be waiting on a mended relationship because there's pain and unforgiveness that needs to be dealt with. So I wonder what you're waiting on this morning, church. Tell us, what are you waiting on because everybody's waiting on something and how well we wait can really decide whether or not we're going to see God's power displayed. How well we wait can decide whether or not we're going to see God's power displayed. The fullness of God can be, can show up when we wait well. So Psalm 40 is where we're going to be today, and it's an amazing passage of Scripture. And we're only going to be in four verses because David gives us so much that, that we can just stay in these four verses and be encouraged on how to wait well. So let me read these four verses to you, and we'll jump right in. Psalm 40, starting with the first verse. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. Verse 2, He drew me up. From the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then he gives a warning and an encouragement in verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. So Psalm 40 David is saying, I waited patiently for the Lord, and here's how the Lord responded to me. This passage of scripture is so powerful because we get to see what God can do, how God will choose to display his power when we wait well. So you have a handout that we'll be tracking with, following along as we walk through this, these verses, so we can see what our role is and how God responds. Here's the first thing that we have to do. In, in our posture, the top of your handout, that far left column says our posture. Our posture is active expectation. So the first thing, and actually the only thing that we have to do is wait with expectation. Somebody say expectation. 
We have to wait with expectation. And that sounds so easy. You might say, Jada, duh, yeah, of course. But expectation might be harder than you think it is. This is not a passive type of, I'm just kind of passing the time, hoping that God shows up. It's this active looking. It's almost like this tension because you know that God is going to do what he promised. Now, when the, when the psalm says, I waited patiently for the Lord, the Hebrew words for waited and patient really are the same word. So what he's saying is, in my waiting, I waited. Or that word, means to, that word also means to hope or to expect. He's saying that in my hoping, I I hoped that in my expecting, I expected, right? So when you say something twice, it's like when you tell somebody, no, 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 for real, for real. He, he said it twice because he's like, no, this is an intense, active, focused, intentional waiting. I was expecting God to do something. This is a hopeful expectation that we have. And so what does it mean to have a hopeful or an active expectation? It means that number one, we cannot choose apathy. Now, some of us know that apathy is our defense mechanism. When we're not sure that God is going to do what we're asking or we're not sure that God is going to come through, we, we pretend to be apathetic or maybe we actually become apathetic. We're like, uh, you know what? I really don't even want that anymore. And people say, hey, are you still praying for a mate? Are you still trusting God for that new career? Are you still trusting God for whatever this thing is? And, and if you become discouraged and you have a struggle with this active expectation, you might choose apathy and say, you know what? Oh, it's fine. And we try to convince ourselves that we don't want it anymore. And really, it's just because we're not sure God's going to do it or God's, God is willing to do it. So active expectation says we cannot choose apathy or even the appearance of it. That means I, I'm continuing to stay vulnerable. I'm saying, yes, I still want this thing. And I've been praying for this thing for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years. So I don't know what season of waiting you're in. You might be asking God for something that you just started asking him for in these last few months. But some of us are waiting for things that we've been asking God for years for. So will you stay active in your expectation? That means you have to turn away from apathy. It's easy to do. It's easy to say, yeah, I just, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. But you know it's a big deal. Because that, that apathy or the appearance of it, it starts to shift the way we view our relationship with God. We think he's holding out on us. And so we disconnect our desire so we can protect ourselves. Active expectation says we have to run away. We have to turn away from apathy. It also says we have to turn away from arrogance. Some of us wait arrogantly because we are demanding. And we're like, you know what, God? I've been good. I'm, I'm coming to Bible study. I'm tuning in to church. I'm taking my notes. I was nice to that person. Remember, there was a time where some words would come out of my mouth that were not pleasing to you. And look at me. Look, I didn't even say the words out loud. I just thought them this time. Can you give me some credit for that, Lord? I'm waiting on some things. Or we start to compare and we say, why does this person have this thing and I don't have this thing? They live in raggedy. Their life is ratchet. I know all their business. And God is like, I know their business too, but I'm the sovereign God. I decide who gets what and when. But our arrogance, y'all, it can work against active expectation. When you're, when you're arrogant and you're demanding that God do what it is you want, then you can't have a hope, right? You become arrogant. You become demanding. So this idea of, of hoping in our hope, y'all, it sounds simple, but it is challenging for the self-centered, greedy human beings that most of us are. We want it now. We want it the way we want it. We are not used to sitting around and just hoping. And God says, but your trust in me, your, your reliance on me is going to show up in how well you wait. So active expectation says we have to turn away from apathy. We have to turn away from arrogance. Arrogance. 
We have to trust with hope and with humility. And here's what's interesting about this, this passage. We know it's written by David. So we see, I, I, David, waited patiently for the Lord. Here's how you know humility is important. Because no one is exempt from waiting. Y'all say, no exemptions. No one is exempt from waiting. Let me tell you something about David, some things that maybe you're not thinking about right now. David was a king. David was a worshiper. David was a warrior. David was a writer. The Bible tells us that David was handsome and that David was a man after God's own heart. He had a lot of things going for him, but David still had to wait. You know why? Because there are no exemptions when it comes to waiting. Your position doesn't exempt you from waiting. Even kings have to wait. Even leaders, even bosses have to wait. Your gifting does not exempt you from waiting. Even worshipers and pastors and leaders and those who, who are very gifted and very talented, and you say, surely, God, I don't have, yes, even you have to wait. Even your service doesn't exempt you from waiting. Y'all, David was a warrior. He could have said, Lord, I've been on the front lines. Remember, remember that thing with Goliath, God? I did that for you. Why do I have to wait? Even your service, y'all, doesn't exempt you. And, and we know that this can become a thing because sometimes when we're waiting and God is taking too long, he's not doing it the way we want him to, we start to pull out our service resume. God, but remember all the, remember all the nice things I did for you? How many times I was at church? How many times I served in this ministry? Let me pull out my spiritual resume so you can understand why I really shouldn't be waiting. But even your service doesn't exempt you from waiting. Your attractiveness does not exempt you from waiting. And, and you might not be thinking that that's a big deal, but for some of us, you know, cute is how we got through. Some of us, we just were cute and we were handsome and we were pretty, and so we didn't have to really do much of anything. Now, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about these pictures. If you were watching online when we did our college party in place a few weeks ago, we got some throwback pictures from some of our leaders, and we put up some of their college and high school pictures, and we had some football players and some cheerleaders. Oh, okay, well, yeah, they were cute back in the day. Because in high school and in college, you know, cute, cute could get you out of a lot of stuff. But listen, it's not going to get you out of waiting because David was handsome. The Bible says he was handsome in appearance. So he was talented. He was gifted. He was good looking. He could sing. He could worship. He could, he could war. He was a warrior. He had everything going on and nothing got him out of waiting. Your maturity doesn't get you out of waiting. It says he was a man after God's own heart. It doesn't matter if you have been having a bad season with God or if you've been walking closely with God for 20 years. Some of us think that the closer we are to God, the less we have to wait. No, waiting is not a punishment because you've messed up or because you're distant from God. Waiting just means that you're human and you're the created being and the sovereign God does things in his own timing. So we have to wait with an active and humble expectation and we have to understand that there is no exemption. But here's the beauty of that, that first phrase. He says, I, David, waited patiently or hoped in my hoping for who? The Lord. Some of us get, we get turned astray because we're waiting and hoping in the wrong thing, y'all. We're waiting on the applause. We're waiting on the promotion. We're hoping in some kind of provision. David didn't say, my hope is in what God will do for me. My hope is in how God might answer me. He didn't say, I waited patiently on the gifts of the Lord. I, I hoped in the provision of the Lord. He says, I waited and I hoped and I expected just in the Lord alone. His presence 
was all he really wanted. He says, I know if I put all of my eggs in this basket, that's what it means in the spiritual world. For the Christ follower, hope means to put all your eggs in one basket. Everybody else is going to tell you to balance out where you put your expectations in case someone or something fails you. But God never fails. So we put all our eggs in the God basket and we say, I hope I have active expectancy that God is going to do something. I don't even know what it is. It might not be what I'm praying for because he knows, more, he knows what I need more than what I do. It might not even be the thing I'm asking for, but it doesn't matter. God is going to do something. And in this hope, in this active expectation, we get to see a display of God's power. So I wonder, what do you struggle with in your waiting? Do you struggle with arrogance or do you struggle with apathy? Which one do you struggle with? Because there's usually something that we're wrestling with. So think about that, because maybe that's where the Lord is going to challenge your heart today. So here's the good news, y'all. We've hit the first line, and this is, if you look at the handout, look at all that we have to do. Just one thing. Active expectation. That's it. And everything else, God does. Somebody say, everything else. Now that's good news. God says, if you would just do your part, your mustard seed part. I mean, it's a small part. It's hard for you created human beings who are self-centered and want everything to be fast and want everything to be heard and want everything to be on your timeline. It is going to be hard, but it's this one thing with hope, with humility. If you would have active expectation, then you will see the power of God displayed. And here's how he shows it as you walk through this passage. Look, the first, the first thing that God does is the rest of this line. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord and here's the rest of the sentence. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. So the first thing God does when he displays his power is he responds to the invitation. Because in, in truth, waiting is an invitation for God to speak and to move into our lives. He responds to the invitation. And that's good news for somebody today. What it means when it says he inclined himself, it means he stretched himself out. He extended himself or he bent down and he bowed down to extend himself toward us. That Jehovah God, the self-existent one, would incline himself to man is an amazing assurance that we have today. God meets us where we are. Here's, here's why it's important that he responds to the invitation. Because he's not saying, I want you to try to find some way to lift yourself up to where I am. I know it's impossible. In my greatness and in my sovereignty, I'm going to incline myself to you because only if I bring myself low can we ever have intimacy. Listen, my daughter, y'all, she is... Um, She's going through this phase of knowing how to delay bedtime. And I don't know what happens at birth. The children, they get a script on how to delay bedtime. If you've got uh, children or if you've got godchildren or nieces or nephews or baby cousins or anybody you've tried to put to bed, you understand the delay tactics that happen. Because all of a sudden at bedtime, somebody needs some water. Um, they have ask you a question. They want to talk about the zoo that they went to six months ago. Or they just, just random things. It's always something and so lately her thing is I have to tell you something so we go to bed we sing a song we do a whole routine and uh, and then I'm backing out and I'm closing the door I'm saying good night mommy mommy what are you about to go do oh, I'm about to go clean the kitchen oh, okay and then you're gonna take a shower mm -hmm, good night and then after you take it it's a whole rundown then you're gonna go to bed yes good night and then she'll say wait 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 I have to tell you something and so I'll stand at the door and I go what is it and she'll go no no I have to tell you a secret <laughs> so 
There's no one else in the room, but I know what she means. When she says she has to tell me a secret, she wants me to come over there. So what I do is I go back inside the room and I walk over to her. And of course, her bed is lower than where I'm, how, the height of me standing. So I have to get down on my knees and I have to put my ear to her mouth so she can tell me this secret that she needs to tell me, which, by the way, is the same secret every night. But she tells me this secret and then we can finally get to sleep. And I do that because the only way that she's going to be able to tell me what she needs to tell me is if I go in and lower myself to her level so she can speak into my ear. Let me tell you what God does for us. When Bible says he inclines himself to us, he's saying the one who created the universe, who counts the stars and the hairs on your head, the one who really sits high but chooses to make himself low, leans into you so he can hear what it is you have to say. And hasn't God been inclining himself to man since the beginning of time? Didn't he incline himself to Adam and Eve? Didn't he incline himself to the children of Israel for generations? And ultimately, when man was in his deepest point of pain, he inclined himself and lowered himself into the son of man to walk, along, walk on this earth and give us a savior. So David is saying, listen, when I waited, when I hoped in my hoping, when I expected in my expecting, right, my double hope, my double expectation, I waited and God responded to the invitation. He met me where I was. And not only did he meet me, he listened because it says he heard my cry. Y'all say heard. Listen, we know that people can be close to you but not be paying attention. We've all sat across the table from someone having a conversation and their eyes glazed over. Or you've just been pouring out your heart on the phone and, and you say, did you hear me? And they're like, huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 I heard you. They can be near but not attentive. He's saying not only did he incline himself, he extended himself out to me, he actually listened, he paid attention because he wants to know what's on his children's heart. He says, listen, when you wait well, you allow God to respond to the invitation. Now, some of us know what it's like to not have an invitation responded to. You invite people or we don't RSVP or, or we never show up. God says, I will always show up when you hope in me. I'll always RSVP. I'll always respond to the invitation. That is the first way we see God's power display. What's the second thing we see? It says he offers salvation. Y'all, David says he drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. Ooh, y'all, this is good. Some of your versions may say out of the miry clay or the muddy clay because David is talking about this pit of destruction. This is where David was waiting. Now, it's fascinating because you have to imagine this pit was probably, now it's metaphorical. We know that David in this moment was not necessarily physically in a pit, but was talking about um, moments that he had had before. But here's the thing about it. There were some physical pits that you could find yourself in. And this that David was describing was probably like a cistern or an old well. So at the bottom of it, there was not any stable ground because it's a place that used to be filled with water. So it was just muddy and it was unstable and it was a, it was a miserable kind of place to be. And it says, this is where I was. This is where I was waiting. That in the mud and in the mire of this pit, he was hoping. See, see, everybody's waiting room is not going to have nice leather chairs. Some of you are going to have waiting rooms that look like pits of destruction. It's going to be muddy and unstable. And God is saying, in the mud and in the instability, I want you to hope in your hoping. I don't want you to just have active expectation when you start to see signs that I might be moving. In the pit, when it's deep and dark and you don't have any idea what God might be doing on the surface, you wait with a hope. 
He says, I'm in this place, y'all, and it's like, it's, it's muddy, and I can't really get my footing. And it's just enough water to make mud, but not enough water to satisfy, because it's an old cistern. So sometimes you'll find yourself in places where it's just enough to, to create an irritant or to create insecurity and to create doubt, and it becomes your pit of destruction. Have you ever tried walking in mud? You can't ever really get your footing. But God says, in this place, I can meet you. There's no peace. There's no calm. This pit of destruction, the word actually means something noisy or tumultuous. It's just constant disruption. And I wonder today, what is disrupting you? What is your place of disruption? Is it your own insecurities? Is it because you're always wondering if people like you or if people approve of you? Is it because you're driven by achievement? And if you don't get enough applause and enough pats on the back, you're going to find yourself in a pit. Is it because you've got some unforgiveness in your heart? What, what is it that might be the place of disruption for you? What might be your place of insecurity? Because this is where God can meet you. Here's the thing. It says he offers us salvation, but goes on. It gets even better. He provides a firm foundation. He provides a foundation, y'all. That's number three. Because it says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And then it says, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Tim and Trenton, can y'all come out here so we can show? I need to explain to you what it means to move from this place of insecurity to this place of stability. So many of us, hey Trenton, many of us are trying to find ourselves, find some security in this place, this miry clay. Trenton, can you try? Oh, ooh. Be careful now. Have you ever tried to walk in mud, y'all? It creates a lot of instability. You can't really get your footing, and it can look crazy, and you can kind of feel like you're always in this wobbly place. But here's what God does. God lifts you out of the pit, out of the miry, muddy, insecure place, and he transports you right over here to the place of a firm foundation. Now, here's why this image is powerful, because God is doing something that you cannot do for yourself. We are walking around this pit wondering why we can never find firm footing, and that's because we are trying to lift ourselves out of something that we cannot do. He says, you got yourself in the pit, but I have, to, I have to be the one to take you out. God is the one that says, in your place of instability, I will give you a firm foundation. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I will be the one to give you a firm foundation. Now, some of us, here's, here's where we go wrong, y'all. We see the foundation and we're wondering why we don't have sure footing. We're wondering why we're still in this place of instability. And God is saying, you're not waiting on me and you're trying to do it all on your own. So because we get frustrated and God is not moving fast enough, we just dress up the pit. We make the pit look pretty. Some of us have like some five bedroom pits. Some of us have pools in the pits. Some of us have some 2020 pits. You know, you got your paper plates because with all the pandemic, you got some good deals on your new stuff. Some of us have receipts for how we've dressed up the pit because we just, we just earn more. We say, you know what? Since God's not going to do it, I'm going to make this a comfortable place. And so we just dress up the pit. We make it look nice. Or worse than that, we draw everybody else into the pit. So when you're miserable, everybody in the house is miserable, all your friends are miserable, nobody wants to be around you because you're saying, this is where I'm going to be, and so I'm going to let everybody that wants to be around me, they have to come into my pit. And God is saying, if you would just wait with a hopeful expectation and, and not expect to live here, but expect that I am going to move you to a place of firm foundation, then your life would be different. 
See, we expect sometimes that this is all God has for us. And can I tell you that life is going to bring some challenges. There will be things that are just a part of life, disappointments and hurts and insecurities and all of those things. They are a part of life, but they don't have to be your pit. You can live through those things and not live in those things because God is the rescuer. Active expectation Can you imagine to be in this pit, to be in this place of instability and it's dark and it's muddy and you don't know what is about to happen next, but to still have hope, to not go to a place of apathy. Well, whatever, I guess I'll just be in the pit forever. To not go to a place of arrogance. God, it's about time you get me out of this pit. But to have a hopeful, active expectation that God is going to do what he said he would do and what only he can do. So not only does he take us from this place to a firm foundation, it says he sets my feet upon a rock and he makes my steps secure. So it's like when you're having to help someone down the stairs or help an elderly person or a toddler. You don't just put them on the solid ground and walk away. You kind of hold them for a second to make sure they can take some steps. So God doesn't just place you on the firm foundation. He covers you. He surrounds you until you can walk on your own. He says, I'm going to give you a solid place to stand and then I'm going to make sure your steps are stable. God is the one y'all who reverses the insecurity. If you were trying to find stability in any person or any organization or any idea apart from God, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. Your spouse, I don't care how much you're praying for God to fix them. They cannot take you from that miry pit to a place of foundation, to a firm foundation. Your child, if they become stellar athletes and academic uh, achievers, they are still not going to move you from uh, a miry pit to the firm foundation. This government cannot pass a law or a policy that is going to move you from the miry, miry mud to the firm foundation because that's a soul need. So nothing around us in life is going to make our soul more stable. Only God can do it. So don't look for anybody else to create a firm foundation in your life. We wait patiently in the Lord. Here's what God will do. He can move your soul from this place of instability to this firm foundation and your life might look the same. See, everything around you don't have to change for you to have the foundation that God gives because this is internal stability. So even before everybody likes you, even before you get the promotion, even before all the world changes, you can still have a firm foundation because God is the one that does the moving and his thing is eternal, y'all. So he offers us salvation. He gives us this firm foundation. He provides a foundation, your handout says. And number four, it says he gives us a new celebration. Somebody say celebration. Y'all listen, David says in verse three, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He put a new song in my mouth. I love this because in the Hebrew, that word for new, it means new. (laughs) It's quite, it's very simple. It means original, never before heard that God will give you original worship when he takes you out of the pit. Now it could be that while you're over in the pit, God is helping you work on your worship because when you come out of the pit, He's going to have a new song for you. He gives us ways to worship him. He gives us words with with which to worship him. He gives us a new song, and not just in our heart, a new song in our mouth. That means somebody ought to hear us declare and testify about the goodness of God. 
And here's why I think this is fascinating, that David says, listen, I, I wonder how many times our worship is stale because we can't recall how God has rescued us. See, he says the new song comes from when I realize that God has taken me out of the place of insecurity, the place of noise and calamity, and given me peace and stability. And if all I have is the same old story, and I'm not waiting well, allowing God to rescue me, I won't have a new song. So my worship will be dry. My worship will be routine. I wonder how many times it just falls flat because we cannot really recall the last time God rescued us. He says, you have a new song. Praise has to be the priority here. Because can I tell you this? What you do after you've been rescued determines what you value. The first thing that you do after you've been rescued determines what you value. Now, some of us, when we get rescued, we say, God, it's about time. You rescued Tabitha uh, six years ago. You rescued John. Hey, why, why are you just now rescuing me? We get rescued, we get to the firm place, and then we're just ready for the next thing. Some of us just have a list of prayer requests that we're working through. And as soon as God does one thing, we're on to the next thing. We don't have time to marinate and sit in the praiseworthiness of the rescue. One of my favorite shows that used to, used to come on cable was about uh, the, the United States activity over in the Middle East, and it was kind of around the 9-11 time, and it was all these things trying to expose classified information, and who knows what's true. But it was interesting. It made for good drama. And I remember in one particular episode, there was a man, a Marine. He had been held hostage for eight years in an enemy prison. I mean, deprived of hygiene and food and all of these basic needs. And so he finally was rescued. Somehow they tracked him down, and they got him out of this dark, uh, damp, horrible condition, this prison cell, they got him and they said, listen, we are here to rescue you. We have a hot shower for you, food for you, haircut, clean you up, new clothes. Let's go to this hotel. We're about to take you home. And before, he couldn't even barely talk, y'all. And he said, I need to call my wife. They said, okay, we'll call her when we get to the hotel. He said, no. Before I get in this car, I need to call my wife. You know why? Because after eight years, of being trapped by the enemy. The first person he wanted to talk to was the person that meant the most to him. And it wasn't a shower, and it wasn't a haircut, and it wasn't a hot meal. It was the person whose presence he wanted the most. Let me tell you something. When you've been rescued from something, all the accoutrements, all the trappings of this world, they don't matter. You want to give God some praise. That becomes your priority because then you get to tell the world that even though I've been rescued, before I celebrate and make myself look amazing, I got to give praise to the God who took me out of the place that I could not have taken myself from. Praise has to be your priority. He puts a new song in your mouth. I wonder, church, do you have a new song? Before you get to the next thing that you want from God, maybe you need to go back to the last thing. And say, God, what's the new song you gave me from that situation? What's the new song, church? Do you have a new song in your mouth? He gives us a new celebration. And lastly, it says he advances his reputation. Look, David says, he put a new song in my mouth. Then he says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will see. Y'all say see. Many will fear. Say fear. And many will put their trust in the Lord. Can you imagine that David is basically saying that when we wait well and we allow God's power to be put on display, 
that other people will come to believe in the God that we have already believed in. That maybe our waiting is actually our most evangelistic tool. That when you can't articulate the gospel and know every step in the Romans road and know all the reasons why uh, Jesus came to save us, which we should know anyway, it could be that when the world watches you wait well, they will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. God will allow people to be drawn to himself as they observe how well you wait. Can you imagine that you're waiting well is not just so that you can be a stronger Christian. It's not just so you can have some, some things to put in your journal, that there are people watching because most of this world is in the pit, but they're wondering what's going to be different about your experience. What's going to be different about how you handle it versus the way they handle it. Are you going to wait well? He says, many will see and fear. And I wonder if it should say, many will see and hear. Because listen, he just got this new song put in his mouth. And sometimes it's the praise that draws people to the goodness of God. That when you're coming out of this place, and it's not because God has fixed everything and gone through your checklist. Checklist is because the goodness of God is worthy of praise. He says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. But he says, I know you will be tempted to fall away from this hopeful waiting. That's why he says in verse 4, our last thought, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. He says, listen, all this waiting, all this active expectation, I know is going to be hard. We are going to want to fall into our pride. God, you're not moving fast enough. I'm going to do it my way. We're going to want to fall into the lies that we tell ourselves, that God is not able, that God doesn't love me enough, I'm in trouble with God, that God is holding out on me, or the lies that other people tell us. You're going to be faced with things in this culture, and as soon as God doesn't do what you want him to do, you're going to have voices telling you, oh, I knew your God couldn't do it. Oh, I knew you. That's why you need to leave that Christian thing alone and just do it this way. Do it your own way. Make up your own set of truths. Find your own way to navigate this life. And David is saying, but blessed is the one who turns away from his pride and his arrogance, her pride and her arrogance. Blessed is the one who turns away from the lie and puts their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the one that when it does not make sense, they still hope in their hoping. Blessed is the one that when it's illogical, when it's taking too long, they still expect and they're expecting. That's when the Lord will be glorified. Y'all, I got to take a trip. Remember when we could take trips? I took a trip to... um, Um, We got to go to Australia a few months ago. Gosh, it was October, but it feels like years. I swear, pandemic days are like dog years or something. It's like, it feels like it's been 20 years. But it was just a few, it was just a few months ago, and we got to go to this beautiful beach called Manly Beach in Australia. And um, we got to watch um, these, you know, the ocean and beaches and beach and beautiful air and atmosphere and all that stuff. And so there's a ton of surfers that come to this beach. So I am not a surfer, but I am a surfer watcher. It's fascinating to me. And so I was watching these surfers. And when you think about surfing, there's probably a particular image that comes to mind. Now, when you think about surfing, you're thinking about the wave and the majestic beauty of, you know, this, this surfer riding this wave. And it's an amazing thing. That's what happens when you say, oh, I'm a surfer. This is the image that you get in your mind. But in reality, this is what surfing really looks like. <laughs> and here's what it really looks like. <laughs> it's a lot of paddling and it's a lot of waiting. 
I actually read a statistic because they tracked a lot of surfers and the time they spent in the water. And do you know that over 80% of the time that a surfer is in the water, he or she is either paddling or waiting. That surfers only spend about 8% of their time riding a wave. 8% of their time actually riding the wave. They have to paddle out to the right location and then they wait. Most of the time you're watching these groups of surfers and they're just waiting. But they're not waiting passively. I mean, they're not texting. They're not taking a nap. They are watching the movement of the ocean. They're waiting for timing. They are expecting that at some point a wave is going to come that they can catch. Because when they catch that wave, guess what? They get to display the power of the ocean. We get to be amazed and it is glorious and it is breathtaking and it is beautiful. But they are willing to wait over 80% of their time so they can have that one moment of that display of power. And you know what happens after they ride that wave for those few seconds? They go back to waiting and they enjoy it. It is an active expectation where they know that all of the waiting is worth that display of power. And I wonder today, church, if we are willing to wait in that same way. Are we willing to have an active, hopeful expectation that says, I know that it may not come when I want it. It may not come the way I want it, but oh, if I would just wait. I can see the power of God displayed in ways that I could never do on my own. Listen, ocean waves are amazing to watch, but it's even more powerful when you see a small human being able to capture the power of that wave. So God is still God, but he chooses to use a small human beings to display the power of his greatness. I wonder, are you willing to be a part of God's display of power today? So I know a lot of you like checklists. What do I do, Jada? What do I read? What do I fast? Do I give up carbs? Do I stop eating sugar? Do I pray six times a day? Those things might be great, but let me tell you the hardest thing is going to be to wait with hope, to stay active and ready, to expect that God is going to do something, to know that he is going to respond to the invitation, that he will offer us salvation, provide a foundation, give us new celebration, and ultimately advance his reputation. As our praise team comes out, I want to encourage you today, church, to wait well, not just for your own peace, but for the proclamation of God's glory. The world is watching how well you wait. The world might just put their trust in God as they watch you wait with hope. You're waiting might be the strongest gospel message that you ever give. So can we make that commitment today, God, that even when it's difficult, even when it seems illogical, that we will wait. In our hoping, we will hope. We will have an active expectation. Oh my 
it's a privilege to wait on the most high God to have an active hope a hope that does not disappoint the Bible tells us a hope that will never fail because our God never fails and so I'm not sure where your season of waiting is today but if you need to make a decision for Jesus because listen these promises this display of God's power is for the believer I don't want you to wait in vain and you don't know Jesus as Savior if you need to make a decision I want you to click on that QR code that's in our chat If you need to rededicate because maybe you've been trying to get yourself out of the pit and you've separated from God, now is the time. Come back and say, God, I'm going to do it your way. Whatever you need, we want you to make that decision today. Click on that QR code and someone will be there to walk you through these next steps. Father, we thank you for the privilege of waiting. We thank you that you would use created beings to display your power to the world, God. Would you give us the hope, the expectancy? Would you kill the apathy and kill the arrogance in our hearts that we would have a humble, hopeful expectancy that you will do what you know is best? Will our hope, may our hope be in you, God, not just in your provision, not just in your gifts, but just in your presence. And God, we know that when we wait well, the world will watch and they will come to know you for themselves. Thank you for this privilege that in our brokenness, in our mistakes, that you would choose to use us to show your glory. We thank you, God, for this privilege. Encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you stay online with us. Join us for our app time. Share what you've gotten out of this message. Tell us what you're waiting on, how you're going to trust God. Have a great weekend.